Now we read from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. Galatians 5, 13 through 26. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight we're continuing in our series on the fruit of the Spirit, and tonight we are looking at the second to last virtue, and that is gentleness. Is gentleness a desirable trait? When I was a kid, there was a, a period of time when, when I stole stuff. I stole stuff from stores, some of them, some toys, I stole some books, and it was from quite a few places. But finally, one, one day, my parents confronted me. They, they caught me. And I confessed that I had been stealing from stores. And there was a lot to confess. And then after, after there's that moment after it all comes out, and I admitted to all the places that I could think of that I had stolen from, and all the stuff I took, I, I had tried to just express all of it. There's that moment when you finish confessing, and then there's a pause, a slight pause, and, and you wait, you're waiting for a response. How are they going to respond? Are, are they going to blow up? Are, are they going to despise me and, and scorn me? Well, my parents were immigrants, Asian immigrants, and I am their first son. How, how does an honor-based culture deal with disgrace and deal with dishonesty? 
I don't remember exactly what my parents said, but I do remember the overall response. They were gentle. At that moment, when I deserved to have the hammer fall, their gentleness surprised me. Gentleness was a relief. Now, don't get me wrong, that gentleness, it still held me. Their gentleness still held me to the hard work of making confession and and making restitution to every store where I had stolen things. Gentleness didn't mean avoiding consequences and uh, compensation, but they addressed my crime and they addressed my sins with a spirit of gentleness. And so, is gentleness a desirable trait? I was a thief. I deserved harshness. And some 40 years later, I can remember, I can't forget their gentleness. Now tonight we'll look at the gentleness produced by the Spirit of God in a Christian. And, and this is what we see about this kind of gentleness, this gentleness that comes from the Holy Spirit working. Gentleness slows you down, brings you down, and lifts you up. This gentleness slows you down, brings you down, and lifts you up. Let's look at each part of this. First of all, gentleness slows you down. There's, there's a, a restraint in gentleness, in this gentleness. The Greek word for gentleness, sometimes, sometimes it's translated gentleness, other times it's translated meekness. But, but today, that word meekness, that, for most people, that just conveys timidity. That mostly just conveys weakness. But biblical gentleness, biblical meekness, it is not tied in any way to being wimpy or to being weak or timid. Sinclair Ferguson characterizes biblical meekness as, as strength in humble submission to suffering. This kind of meekness, this, this gentleness, is strength in humble submission to suffering, to hardship. And so this gentleness, it, it connotes strength that is is restrained, is under control. Gentleness, this gentleness, it's not weakness. And so that says a powerful person, a powerful person can possess this kind of gentleness. You could be a gentle person, this kind of gentle person, who you could possess titanic strength. You, you could be someone who, who sledgehammers rocks in a quarry all day, every day, but... If you're this kind of gentle person, when a ladybug gets trapped in your house, this, this kind of gentle hammer man can cup the ladybug with, with, the, 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 with finesse and, and release it under, unharmed outdoors. And so gentleness, this kind of gentleness, is, is strength restrained. And so let's look at the speed of this kind of gentleness. The speed of gentleness. Gentleness, this gentleness treads carefully, like a person who's, who's trying to extract a splinter out of a crying child's finger. You, you go slowly. Gentleness goes slow. It moves with, with calm. This kind of gentleness doesn't rush. This kind of gentleness doesn't flood the other person. Maybe you, 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 you can see it in, in if you were to come across a rabbit 
in the wild, caught in a snare, accidentally maybe caught in a fishing line. And, and you want to set the struggling rabbit free. Gentleness moves slowly to reduce alarming the terrified creature. That's, that's the speed of gentleness. Now, next, let's, let's look at the force of gentleness. Because gentleness is strength, but it's restrained. Gentleness employs the minimal degree of strength and power. Gentleness never overdoes. The Bible gives a picture of a shepherd who deals with the lambs with this kind of of minimal power. This, This kind of shepherd who's gentle takes care of the lambs, the baby sheep, and he cares for them with gentleness. Isaiah 40 he, this shepherd, the Lord, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And so God is a shepherd who cares for those who are spiritually vulnerable, who cares for those who are spiritually young, who cares for those who are spiritually weak. And he holds them lightly and he holds them close, and he carries them in an embrace. He he doesn't drive them forward. He's not whipping them forward. He's not not harsh with them. When they're weary, when they're tired, when they can't keep up, he's gentle. He gently leads them. Over over the years, my family has gone on many hikes in the mountains. Many of them were in the Shenandoah Mountains, several in the American Southwest, Colorado, Utah, and most of these hikes included our kids when they were toddlers or when they were little kids. And what would happen on, on many, plenty of these hikes is the, the little ones, the little ones would scamper on down the trail and they'd be dressed wearing their, their hiking ball cap, carrying their trail snacks, carrying their water bottles. But inevitably, on these hikes, maybe within the first five minutes, maybe within the first 20 minutes, the little ones were, they were worn out. Five minutes, 20 minutes, that was about how much they could hike. And so they would start to to drag behind. They started to dawdle, and they just needed to recharge. And and initially, we might encourage them, keep on, keep up, you can do it. We might urge them to, to keep pushing on along the trail. There's still another two hours to go. But soon enough, we knew that they had hit their limit. They had hit their limit, and and what would we do? Someone would just scoop them up. Someone would just lift them up, maybe plop them on their back, plop them on their shoulders for the rest of the hike. We would carry the small child for the remainder of the hike. Gentleness slows you down. I want to ask you this. If you're a Christian, have you been a Christian long enough to experience the gentleness of God? Have you been a Christian long enough that you've eventually had this experience where you, you've experienced that God is gentle with you? Those times when maybe you couldn't take another step forward. The, the problems were, were too big in front of you. Or the pressure on your shoulders, it was just too high. But over and over in that, you ran to God and he carried you. He carried you as if you were a tired lamb. And one more hour, one more day, one more week, one more year, he didn't whip you forward. He didn't yank you forward. He didn't shove you and prod you. He was patient. Your your good shepherd led you patiently and the Lord carried you when you couldn't even crawl. So gentleness slows you down. 
Now, secondly, this kind of gentleness, gentleness brings you down. Let's talk about the, the lowliness of this kind of gentleness. Not only is there restraint in this kind of gentleness, gentleness also wears a robe of, of humility. This kind of gentleness, the gentleness of the Spirit of God, it stems from a platform of lowliness. You humble yourself. You, you're, 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 you lower yourself, and from the position of below, that makes you gentle with people. You, could, you might be the CEO of a company, but today you're taking up the role of housekeeping in the company, and you're going to act accordingly. When you grasp the, the lowliness of this gentleness, it shows up in very striking ways. For instance, the lowliness of gentleness, it will show up when people provoke you. When people are quarrelsome, you don't respond with quarreling. When people do you wrong, you don't return wrong. In the context of this letter is a community where people are filled with quarreling and with contention. Earlier in, in, in Galatians 5, verse 15, it says the people, they're biting and devouring one another. They're tearing each other apart. Verse 20, the room there in the churches of, of Galatia, the room is filled with arguments, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. People are at odds with one another. People are disputing with one another. They have their beef, and they will keep bringing up their beef. There are selfish ambitions in their community. People who want to be above one another, above the next person, and, and they want to shove the other people down and keep the other people down. Show that, they're, show that they're more theologically educated than the other person. Show that they have more influence and that they deserve higher respect than the other people in the group. And then verse 26, it says they, they provoke one another. That was in church. Sharp words were spoken about one another to one another after the services. There were complaints flying about the ministries of the congregation. There were people who provoke you. That's the context of Galatians and, and the fruit of the Spirit. But gentleness lowers you. You don't soar above all that. You go beneath it. Gentleness brings you down. How does gentleness deal with provoking people? Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Earlier in uh, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what's that saying? It's saying that gentleness, this kind of biblical gentleness, this kind of biblical meekness, it responds to to people who are provoking you, you respond with patience, not frustration. Not the frustration of being misunderstood. Not the frustration and anger of being misportrayed. And you do it so that peace ensues. Meekness responds to provoking people also with this kind of love. With love and forgiveness. You bear with people in love. You don't incite contention. 
You don't get pulled into the contentions. And, and so you could, say, you could say it this way. This kind of meekness, this kind of gentleness, it's a form of endurance of suffering. It's a form of enduring suffering. We said that the gentleness is the strong, enduring suffering. Enduring instead of attacking. Provoking people are a form of social suffering. And gentleness can endure that. Gentleness endures the social suffering, the relational attacks, the relational rejection. Gentleness can bear that. Now, in some ways, this is a key to presenting a faithful gospel witness to a world that rejects Christianity. Gentleness is one of the ways that we, as believers in this world, want to respond. How should Christians respond to those who attack our faith. How should Christians respond who attack what we believe and what we hold to be precious? Should we respond with power? Should we respond with loud, forceful repudiation? Should we respond on blast? 2 Timothy 2, 24. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility or in gentleness, here's our word, in humility, in gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. What's he saying? He's saying the way to engage with criticism of the faith, with attacks on the faith, you engage with gentleness with those who don't believe. In humility, you answer, you answer them with a slow kindness rather than a quick harshness. And that's not only with unbelievers, that's with people who attack, people who provoke, even in the church. I, I, I once knew a, a very seasoned pastor. He was highly intelligent. He was widely respected. And at one point, someone in trouble asked him for help, and he helped them. He poured countless hours to help them, and I'm not talking about myself. And as the situation developed, the person that this pastor was helping, the person turned against the pastor, turned on the pastor, complained about the pastor bitterly, and eventually allowed all kinds of outrageous things to be said to and to be said against about that pastor. And, and in my very limited involvement, I once saw how this pastor, how this man responded to, to one particularly over-the-top attack on him. And, and what would you expect? What would you expect a pastor to do who has volunteered his scarce time and his limited love, and now he's got all these inappropriate attacks and demands being thrown down at him? What would you expect from him? Rage? Frustration? Counterattack? What I saw was that he responded with gentleness. He simply said, mildly, well, perhaps they're right. He answered with restraint, not strength. He responded with lowliness, not outrage. Now, you might be hearing all this about gentleness. And you say, okay, so, so deal gently with people who, who provoke you. But, but what, if the, what, if the, what if the people are doing something that's wrong? What if they're sinning? How should you respond to someone who's sinning? In Galatians 6, 1, 
brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, in any sin, in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Do you see how gentleness lowers you? Gentleness slows you down. Gentleness brings you down. You're not coming at the person mainly as a judge against a sinner because you, too, are a fellow sinner deserving judgment, and that makes you gentle. And so when someone is caught doing wrong, you you treat them with gentleness. Now, this has a lot to do with being a parent. Parents, you have these misbehaviors in your children. Your children misbehave. And some of them you have got to correct. You need to correct them now. And if you love them, you will address some of those things. And, and not just parents, friends. Friends, there are sins that you may see in other members in your congregations. Some of them are serious enough that out of love, you're obligated to bring it up. But you've got to confront the sin with gentleness. That's part of how you fulfill the command to speak the truth in love. You address the sin in your son. You address the sin in your spouse. You address the sin in your friend with gentleness, this gentleness. Are you gentle with those you catch in sin? So gentleness slows you down. Gentleness brings you down. And gentleness also lifts you up. Gentleness lifts you up in the sight of God. So let's talk about the value of gentleness. Is this something that people value today? Today, do, do people value gentleness? When people are running for political office, are, are, are people looking for a leader who is strong but gentle? Do husbands, do husbands aim to be gentle, gentle with their children, gentle with his wife? I don't think that, in general, people at large value gentleness. But God values gentleness. Gentleness is something that God values highly. And if you're a Christian, God wants you to pursue gentleness. We know that because God, by his Holy Spirit working in you, is producing the fruit of gentleness. It's one of the part of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and that's got to affect it's got to affect how you handle impossible people. That's got to affect how you handle people who sin against you in your sanctification. Your sanctification, this, this long-term personal change program that the Holy Spirit is working in you. You must prioritize gentleness. Friends, I, I want you I want you to be more gentle this year. And next year, I want you to be even more gentle. God values gentleness in you. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are the gentle, the meek. It's the same word. For they shall inherit the earth. You see how God prizes this this gentleness. When, when When talking to wives, who are dealing with hard husbands. When talking about wives who have husbands who are disobedient to God, wives with hard husbands, when when you respond with gentleness and meekness 
to your hard husband. First Peter 3 says, that gentleness is beautiful to God. The Lord sees, it says in 1 Peter 3, the Lord sees the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, how, how can you do this? How can you have gentleness with hard people? You, you have to see Jesus in the gospel. You have to see the gentleness of Jesus with hard people people. In the gospel, though Jesus was great, he instead came in gentleness and in lowliness. Jesus is the king who came to his people lowly, sitting on a donkey. That's the same word. Jesus slowed down. Jesus came down to save us. Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly of heart. He's the king who never sat on a throne the entire time he was on earth. Instead, Jesus not sat on a throne above us all. Jesus knelt at our feet to serve, not to be served. And in the gospel, how does Jesus deal with provoking people? How does Jesus deal with the foolish and the wandering? It says that Jesus deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Jesus doesn't harangue you when you come to him with your sins. He doesn't, he doesn't ream you out. When you come to him with a long list of your sins, he is gentle. Think of, the, think of the woman caught in the act of sleeping with another man. She was caught in adultery, and everyone was ready to throw stones at her, to kill her for her transgression, but not Jesus Jesus carries our transgressions. Jesus is honest about your sins and Jesus is gentle. Gentle with your failures. Gentle with your weakness and your sins. Gentle with your shame. And, and I, I can't think of any place that's more significant for dealing with gentleness it, and that's with depression. It, it, how would Jesus deal with someone who is depressed, whether they are chemically depressed, whether they're emotionally depressed, whether they're spiritually depressed, he wouldn't drive you forward, try to drive you out, rebuke you out of your depression. Jesus would be gentle with those who are depressed. And on the cross, Jesus was condemned so that you would have no one who condemns you now. Jesus is the gentle one who slowed down, who was brought down, and who raises you up. In the, in the gospel, Jesus raises us up because he was gentle. We're not gentle. He was gentle. And his gentleness pleases God. His lowliness, his meekness gains praise from God. And God admires Jesus for his gentleness. And if you're hidden, Jesus, if you're hidden, him, you receive the pleasure of God that he has for Jesus. Who is gentle? Who's gentle with sinners? Who lowers himself to sit? with the sinners, who shames himself by carrying on himself, wearing on himself the shameful deeds of sinners. It's Jesus. Gentleness slows you down, brings you down, raises you up. Will you come to Jesus and receive his gentle yoke? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we come 
conscious that we need to be dealt with gently, we have sinned. We have shame. And Lord, we come with hope. We come with hope, even trembling, tentative. And we believe that if we come to you, your gentleness will make us great. And so, Lord, we come, we believe, and we would receive your gentleness and your greatness through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.